and welcome to the very first Mono Rants at the Movies. You may be used to hearing us rant about the boys, but we're doing something a little different today. As we enter the long dark tea time of the soul that is the wait for season 3, we've decided to revisit some of our favourite films and express our love for them in barely understandable rants. As ever, I'm one of your hosts and jack of all trades Mono, and with me and looking very comfortable today is my co-host and master of none, Kira. I am queen of the comfy sofa. Yes, she is. So for our first pick, we're going to be talking about 2006's Perfect Creature. It's a New Zealand horror, sci-fi, thriller. Noir, yeah. genre bending. Yeah, a bit of a mashup. It's from writer-director Glenn Sandring, and it features Grey Scott and Saffron Burrows, among others, but they're probably the biggest names in it. Yeah, not nearly enough people know about this one, as far as I'm concerned. No, it is a beautiful little film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a great one. We just happened to come across it back in 2007. We were living in New Zealand and just went to the cinema the first week or so that we were there. Really randomly, if you've ever been in Auckland and been in to Sky City, which is where the cinema is, it is the scariest elevator I've ever been on in my life <laughs> yes. no sorry not an elevator it was an escalator yeah yeah scariest escalator I've ever been on I swear to god freaking bond layer. <laughs> yeah because when you got to the top you had to go across that re- that walkway like I know it was a wide bridge yeah but you were up like three four stories up in an atrium and you had to cross over to go into the cinema and it was just yeah. why uh, I don't know it- evil layer. <laughs> C- cinema architecture aside that wasn't the only problem you had that day anyway either because you, yeah, no. you got ID'd for yeah. a 16th film shut up <laughs> okay you were what 20th time but still 21 okay yeah I would have been 21 I actually think I was just shy of 22 at the time you got ID'd. And it was a Tuesday afternoon at yeah. like three o'clock. Yeah. Um, and you really didn't like the implication that you were taking an underage girl to the cinema. No, I wasn't too happy with that. But there was obviously absolutely nothing else on at the time because we went home, we got your ID and we came back and we booked in for Perfect Creature as opposed to just going and seeing something else. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad we did. Yeah, really small showing. I think it was a re-release because it did show at Cannes and it got a good bit of attention there. Yeah. Which um, prompted an international release. Yeah, it's possible it was just still running because it was a New Zealand film and we were seeing it in New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealanders do have an immense amount of national pride when it comes to their their movies. Um, It's a good and a bad thing. Yeah, (laughs) we're the same in fairness. Like, we all fucking, come on, Aslan are still going. Yeah, true. (laughs) Um, Actually, do you know, I hope we don't have any Aslan fans listening. And if you are an Aslan fan, stop listening. (laughs) Like, no. Uh, But yeah, as to what the film is actually about. It's an alternate timeline sci-fi. Steampunk. It is. It's very, it does have elements of steampunk to it. It's got elements of this kind of weird retro dystopian. It's a really, really hard movie to pin down visually in terms of what year, what kind of era it's supposed to be, what style it's supposed to be. Because the streets, I know it's sat in the slum area of this, of this city. So you get that, the fact that the streets aren't paved, like they're dirt. And people are very traditionally dressed, but there's television and there's electricity and there's an understanding of genetics. Yeah, well, before we get too far into (laughs) the world itself, I I more meant let's give people a quick rundown of the plot. Basically, 300 years ago, new species was born into existence. 
which are called the brothers. Yeah. The easiest way to describe the brothers are vampires. Yeah, no, they're vampires. They except... do need blood, but it's a genetic... Yeah, it's, um, it's taken as a, a genetic... Sign, and it's a sign from God, and they basically form this priesthood. Yeah, the, the genetic they're... mutation that causes the brothers is seen as... Yeah, it's seen as a, a sign from God that, that these new creatures were, were gifted to humanity to help mm. them, and they're very long-living. And they're also up, all male. Yeah, they're all male, and end up studying science and genetics for the betterment of the world under the guidance of the church. Because that always ends well for everybody. Yeah, and the film itself then is set in the, the whatever the modern day is for that film. And one of the brothers has gone rogue, basically, and is killing humans. He's He's gone traditional vampire. Yes. As opposed to, and as I love her, rest her soul, and rice vampires. Yeah. It's like, the rest of the brotherhood very much fall into the Louis category of being very, like, contemplative, and they're there to serve, mm. and, you know, they it's a life of servitude to humanity, and Edgar's just going around eating everybody. Yeah, he's killing everybody. <laughs> just, just nom 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 it's nom nom and about. As as rambling a, a a plot description as that was, it's nearly the perfect contrast for the film itself. <laughs> yeah. Because it is just it's a masterpiece in world construction. Because in the first few minutes, you get everything you need to know about the world. Oh, all the exposition just is the, done so well. Just in the, the two, say, opening scenes, you have the birth of Edgar being shown. And there's a, a scientist saying, oh, this is the, the genetic marker to look out for. On um, what is actually visually recognisable as DNA profiling? Yeah, yeah, it's genetic know. sequences. And there's uh, a little talk between the, say, the two scientists that are there when Edgar is being born about kind of science and religion and how this baby that's been born is a blessing and he's going to want for nothing because the brotherhood are going to take him in. Yeah. So we already know that... Number that- one, they can do in vitro testing. Because that baby <laughs> yeah. is not born yet. True. And that's already, that's something that is still quite risky today. Yeah. But when you see baby Edgar and you see the little vampire teeth. You... That much? Ah, nursing. No wonder they take them away from the mothers. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, they're born with freaking fangs. Also, the weird tone over the baby cry. Yeah. Yeah. So it just gives it that very slight the hair on the back of your the neck. O- an otherworldly sense. Yeah. Yeah, when the baby is born, there's the weird cry and then you see the it's teeth. And very much like the little sisters in Bioshock. Yeah, it's got that same it's to it. It's that same kind of quality to it. But yeah, just in, the, in that scene, you find out, okay, so vampires exist. They're taken in by this thing called the Brotherhood, which is run by the church. And the church seemed to have quite a lot of interest in science. Just in the first, like, 90 seconds of the film. Oh, and they coexist completely peacefully. No brother well, has ever killed a human. That's then the following scene is, yeah. is we're introduced to the character of Augustus, who's another brother, and he's giving, like, a lesson to these kids. He seems to be the, like, Pope. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or the he, Archbishop. He's he's definitely he's important quite, within yeah. the Brotherhood. We he's quite old as well yeah. because these beings don't seem to die. Yeah, and he tells us that 
three hundred years prior is when the the first brother was born. Oh, it's described so beautifully. Um, I don't even want to spoil it. Like it, the way that he describes it, I couldn't do justice. The story no, he tells. It, yeah, the the way he he brings it about and he talks to the kids about it. Yeah, um, is it, it's really well done. But when he's they're talking about the history of the brothers and how they came into being, and from the birth of the brothers, that gave the alchemists free reign to experiment in genetics which is where all this this is a world that is ravaged by plague and influenza which also makes it a very fitting movie to watch in the current end of days yes um but part of the role of the brotherhood is to study these influenzas and these plagues because they can study their mutations over a long time yeah, in, in the same way that scientists might study flies because they are quickly reproducing, the yeah. brothers can live for hundreds of years and see the effects of things on humans and therefore are, are set to work as scientists. But because of all of these plagues and influenzas that have been released upon the world, genetics has itself been has been banned. Yeah, so that's in the second scene you find out that the genetics that kind of not created the brothers but allowed them to see what the brothers were. Yeah has now been banned and then he has a quick conversation with our main character Silas played by Drew Gray Scott and we get another little bit of information about how he tells him not to forget their history that when brothers first appeared they were hunted down and killed as, as monsters and as, as abominations and you know were it not for somebody recognising their potential they, they might, might just be condemned to myth and yeah. nothing but uh, a puzzle for anthropologists. To... Which is the schism from our timeline. Yeah, that's what I always take it as. That's, yeah, he's <laughs> talking about our world. Yeah. And this is their world. But their And wor- it's just, it's beautiful, really quick and efficient and not clunky exposition and world building. I love it so much. The thing I love about this film is the fact that it's a really simple, direct story from A to B. It's a little snippet of, of life in this world. And they yeah. don't try and tack on 14 billion storylines. It's something, it's a, a thing I, I've found recently in newer movies mm-hmm. is that they tr- keep trying to cram more and more stuff in. More, more plot, characters, more, more plots, yeah. more twists. And it just becomes overwhelming and ultimately you don't care about any one person in particular. Yeah. Kong suffered quite badly Kong Skull Island was very bad for that. There was too many people and you just didn't give a shit. Um, I was there to see a big ape trash a big lizard. Well, that was Kong versus Godzilla. Either way, I'm there to watch the big ape. <laughs> do its thing. Do its thing. Yeah. Um, and this movie just goes, here's a little, here's just a little chunk of, of life little story plucked out of this all this world that's mm. going on around it yeah because d- despite how complicated we've probably made things sound way too complicated <laughs> it is it's it's a 90 minute film it's a story about one good vampire hunting a bad vampire and the one or two kind of police and ancillary characters involved in it there's really only there's the two leads and there's about four or five characters yeah. around that and it doesn't that's it. need anything more and and then it's all set in this beautiful visually rich environment and yeah and I think that's why I love it so much because that is what it is at its core is this simple story of as I said one vampire hunting another mm. and all the other stuff that we've been talking about the brotherhood more, it's the, more the, than the, that though as well it's it's a brother hunting a brother but which no, is no, but, 
No, but the, they're actual genetic brothers, which makes it... That's, gives his familial bond to it. That's the point that I was trying to get at, is the, at the core of the story is that. And then all the extra stuff, the, the brotherhood, the fact that they are brothers, this steampunk world that's full of influenza, the whole church being in charge of vampire things, is all just weaved in throughout the narrative and throughout the, the, the visuals mm. so well that it, none of it feels like it's being thrown at you or explained to you. You just pick it up naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just, that's one of the reasons why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, it doesn't suffer from from the overcramming of storylines, nor does it suffer from the 90-minute runtime. No, not at all. The, especially kind of 2005 onwards, there was a tendency for movies to be 90 minutes, in, out, thank you, ma'am. We'd gone through the big saga of like the three hour long blockbusters, Titanic, you had all your Lord of the Rings films, what? and people were kind of fucking sick of it. So there was a lot of really good movies around that time that did suffer from having to be cut down. I still maintain that's just genre films. Okay. <laughs> big blockbusters still stayed fucking three hours long and still are fucking three hours long. But no, you do have a point. You're talking about the likes of, say, like Daybreakers. Legion. And, and yeah, and Priest. Legion and Priest. And they were all, yeah, sci-fi kind of fantasy films. But yeah, good, solid start to the film. And then the last 10 minutes, it was like, oh shit, we have no time left. Let's wrap everything up. Just Cram it in there. Nobody will notice. Yeah, this does not suffer uh, from that. Speaking of... No, that's Dominic Moynihan. Is that near mind. Mm. Uh, but the the casting of it was great as well. Oh, yeah. Do great, Scott. You don't see him in enough stuff. I love him. Yeah, this was the first thing I saw him in. Um, I am a particular fan of Hemlock Grove. And him and Franka Janssen mm. are just... Oh, so good. It's, it, it's a love-hate relationship that's just... And to see him in this, he's very, he's a very stoic character. Silas is very empathetic. Mm. He's very, very still. He's very serene. Your introduction to him is in the alleyway. And he all, you can tell by the way he moves, he's not human. Mm. Yeah, they, there's a grace to the movements. Like, it's the economy of motion. It's, yeah, it's everything's very be- deliberate and, and no effort is expended that doesn't need to be. Yeah. Even to the point where he shoots one bullet and misses. Yeah. And while it looks like he has a shot at Edgar, it's it's a worse shot than he just took, so he doesn't bother taking the second shot in that scene. But we also get in that as well a really nice res- representation of their advanced senses. I love that. I love how that's done. The, the quick, jumpy, kind of flushing around edits. Yeah, where he's he's listening out for Edgar. Anything. Well, yeah, he, but it turns out he's listening out for Edgar to try and hunt him. Yeah. We hear just say like a cat in an alley and then there's it like... It will focus in. There's whooshing sounds and it focuses in and you can see there's a cat just like licking himself and you can hear a really loud licking sound and as he kind of jumps around to different things until he hones in on what he's actually it's trying to listen dripping. for and it's blood dripping yeah and how that is done is just I mean props to the, the director of photography on this film absolutely who is props. the DP on this actually I can't remember it was a lot of it's New very Zealand. very similar editing style that sequ- those sequences in particular where it is the kind of jumpy for like mm. zoom is very very similar to night watch and day watch yes. the way they moved around in the mm. glow uh which is another brilliant movie we may end up covering <laughs> one of the too much in that. <laughs> one of the things that i really like about how the senses are shown is just that 
this film is a great example of, of show don't tell yeah. you know plenty of other even even interview with the vampire there are explicit lines that talk about the various powers that vampires have we never hear at all in this film what the brothers can do we know that they're they're special and they're long lived nobody ever tells us they've got super hearing it's shown very well or super see, sight it's shown quite well they're, they're super strength. they're super strong it's only shown. Nobody ever says it. They're mad resilient because he takes a good few whacks to the head yeah. over the course of this movie. <laughs> so they do. They have all these traditional like vampire powers, but nobody ever says it out loud and we never have to there ask as an audience. There is one explanation where she's in the hospital later on in it and she says so smooth and, she, and he does explain that their cells are constantly replenish themselves. They're almost like composed like, of, st- of stem cells. Yeah, he says that the cells in their body are almost like the cells of an embryo and they regenerate and heal very quickly. So yeah, they're basically like stem cells. But that's more of an explanation of their biology as opposed to any powers they yeah. have. And I love how that's, that is tied into oh, kind of... Oh, sorry. The DP, the cinematographer is Leon Narby. He was cinematographer for Whale Rider. All right. But yeah, no, I like how they, they, they tie that into a kind of a scientific concept of like stem cells and, and regenerative growth. And that's why they're so long lived. They're, they're oxalotls. Yeah, they're basically. They're gothy oxalotls. Yeah, they're goth oxalotls. Gotzalotls? <laughs> Gotzalotls. Oh god, it turned into Squizgar. <laughs> they are gotzalotls. But yeah, no, that's why it's kind of so hard to pin down as to what genre it is. Like, I would say it's a sci-fi vampire film. I Yeah, no, it's very, very heavily sci-fi. Whereabouts in sci-fi you want to put it, you could have that fight all day. Yeah, or it's it's alternate history sci-fi. It's it's, it's, it, yeah. it, it's sci-fi. It, it falls into sci-fi. There's, oh, definitely. You know, honestly, it's like, where are you on this chart, Mr. Birdman? Are you closer to the bird or are you closer to the man? Closer to the man. No, closer, <laughs> closer to, to the, the bird. bird. It's uh, that kind of film. It's a it sci-fi, is. but it's a very, it does cover a broad scope. I, I even think that there's a, there's a secret film hiding inside it. Oh god! That's a secret, realistic zombie film. There is a bit of a zombie film going on. But we in don't. It too. We don't have to give anything away too spoilery for this either. But mm. one of Edgar's things, apart from killing people, we find out that nom, nom, nom. he's got a virus and he's trying to spread this virus to other humans. And when he spreads it to humans, they basically turn into like rage zombies from they, twenty-eight yeah, days later. That would be the closest thing they have. The they don't seem to die, but they do seem to transform. They have that the boils and the pustules. They look mm. like a mix of the rage virus and the T virus. Yeah, but they, they, at no they're point are they stated they're they're like. I uh, but at no point are they stated to be dead. No, they're still alive. They're just infected and want um, to well, they've people. seen that when they die, they do die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the response of this world that's a dystopia and ravaged with influenza and plagues is to quarantine the area, shoot anybody who tries to leave, and then burn it to the ground. Which is Good what plan. Would, which is what would happen in real life if there ever was a zombie outbreak. Good so, plan. Yeah, that's my theory about a secret realistic zombie movie hiding inside Perfect Creature. No, but it does go it does take that route as well. Mm, but it is that they are to me they are very much zombies. So there's an element of zombie film in this sci-fi yeah. vampire horror thriller. Yeah. 
if I had to nitpick though, there's one or two small bits that I don't like. There's a bit of hammy writing here and there. There's they do get extremely heavy handed with the main female character, Lily. She's a police officer. She's a detective. She's very well respected. She's kind of tough as nails. She grew up in the slums. She takes no shit. Mm. They do ham fist her a little bit. They do. They over characterize her a little bit. There are things that they decide to show you or to tell. There's a couple of lines that are put in that were completely unnecessary. After with the vaccine bust. After the vaccine bust when, when they're, in, they're the in, car, in the car. That's very ham fisted. They do kind of try and slap you around the face a bit with that. And I can understand why they, they're trying to set up a, a, a particular thing so that that when something is revealed at the end of the film it makes sense for her character yeah i understand that but where this film is so subtle in other parts this is glaring yeah it was certainly by comparison it's glaring i've seen worse in other movies but yeah it, it just it it lets the side down just a little bit just a tad just just a tad but that said saffron burrows plays the role really well oh yeah and you do believe her in the role you do. Like she's not uh she's not a damsel in distress or anything, but she's also she's not overly she's not like a Ripley. <laughs> no, know? she's more akin to Jodie Comer in um I've forgotten the name of it Event Horizon. Is that her name? No. What's the name of everyone in Event Horizon? Uh the pilot. Uh Jolie Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson, yeah. You know, she comes across beautiful, beautiful human. Mm. Very delicate, very elegant. And then you see her getting dumped in buckets of blood. <laughs> yeah. um, in this, Saffron Burrows, again, extremely beautiful, extremely elegant, very poised. But you know, this t- has this complete and utter takes no shit attitude that's very, very natural. Do you know who she reminded me more of is... Doomsday. No, no. She's uh, very similar as well. Very similar characterization as um, Thingy in Doomsday. Oh, no. She's way more like badass Terminator girl. Oh, yeah. With Doomsday. the eyeball? Um, <laughs> no. Um, uh, I can't remember her name. In Children of Men. Uh, Julianne. Julianne Moore's character. Julianne Moore's character in, in Children the of ex-wife, Men. The ex-wife, yeah. The ex-wife activist one. Yeah. Um, Forgotten her name. Forgotten the name of every character in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I got that kind of She's a vibe actually, offer. actually, the character in the movie of that is way better than the book. But yeah, that, but oh that's, yeah. But that's a rant for a different day. That's a rant for the Children of Men. Recorded. Rant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've completely forgotten, again, we're, we're shit at names, the name of the guy who plays Edgar. He's Leo something. Um, Leo Gregory? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's he's he was really, really good at Edgar. And he was, he was really, really young. young. Yeah. He was only in his early 20s when you filmed that. And everybody in the, the cast and crew interviews had massive praise for oh, him. Oh, yeah. No, he's gone places. And it is. I actually, when they were saying how old he was I was surprised now yeah. in fairness most of the time when you see him you're never introduced to an Edgar that's not crazed no no he's the first time effect- you see him is when Silas is hunting him he's infected by this virus he has got the and, and it's what a really nice touch is as the movie goes on his eyes get more and more and more bloodshot and he gets and he gets visibly he a, more feral. Yeah, and he has he has a few fights. Oh, I think he has three different fights with Silas, and he goes from more or less easily overpowering him to barely being able to hold his own at the end of the film. And his also, his technique as well. He goes from that same kind of very fluid 
style that they fight in yeah. to just kind of sloppy, brawly, slappy. Yeah. So, so his his degradation throughout it is is um it, really yeah it's well played and and yeah Leo Gregory is is fantastic in it and it's hilarious because when you hear him talking in his own accent yeah it's that's, not that <laughs> yeah when he was talking yeah that was when I was like oh yeah okay out of makeup and talking in your own accent yeah you are quite young <laughs> <laughs> but absolute blinder sometimes you could kind of picture somebody else in the role this one no he makes that yeah. oh, all yeah. his own I really like Jones Lily's cop partner oh Jones He's, I'm not sure Jones if looks like he could do with a good boss <laughs> a de-lousing <laughs> yeah a fresh clip pair of underwear and maybe you know a couple of good meals yeah he he, he is he's a bit of a just kind of gruff cop who doesn't like vampires and that's that's kind of it but he's I know there's more there's something more fun to him in yeah, it and I can't he put could my finger be, on it he could very easily be extremely cliche he's close to it but, but there's just enough there I think and I think it's he lo- he does love Lily he has mm. obvious unrequited affection for her he doesn't like the fact that she and Silas seem to have a connection of mm. sorts there's jealousy going on there there's also a kind of I think for well he he doesn't know how to take Silas mm. he's, he's, but it's all it's all very between the lines stuff. yeah there are one or two moments where he's obviously antagonistic towards Silas but apart from that like his feelings towards Lily n- nothing's ever said in the movie about no. him having it for Lily it's just it's almost as if that's just how the actor decided to play it yeah I'm gonna play it like I'm in love with her and I'm protective over her over this new vampire weird guy coming in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, he... I definitely can't remember that actor's name. He, he's, <laughs> he's a Kiwi actor. I remember that much. Yeah. So he's probably been on Shortland Street. He <laughs> was on Shortland Street. I did. I did look him up. But yeah, no, he was really good as well. Um, all, no, I have to say, the, the casting in general, all the main cast are really good. And if you're a fan of Thor Ragnarok... Yes. Yeah, she's you spotted me- that. She's the medical examiner. Because um, it was driving me crazy when we watched Ragnarok for the first time. Because I was like, I know you. Yeah. You there, in the back. The the Grandmaster's like, second-in-command, Topaz, I think she's Topaz, called. Topaz, yeah. Is in this as an on-the-scene forensic examiner at yeah. one of the murders. She doesn't even have a name. No, she doesn't. She's um, just medical examiner. Yeah, and... That actually, that reminds me, that scene that she's in when they find the body of one of Edgar's victims, it's so, like, Jack the Ripper, like, oh, Victorian when London. when she tells them, they're, uh, they're report, uh, approached by a reporter who says, oh, eyewitnesses say it was a brother, and they just go arrest her. <laughs> she just calls over a cop and goes, arrest her. <laughs> and she arrest gets hauled away. immediately. But yeah, there was that. There's a real kind of Victorian London vibe to it, yeah, like, like dirty, with, rundown Whitechapel Victorian London, with the the saw horses out and all the street police do very much look like that. They have that bobby look, with, with and it's the coat in particular with the low belt. That is that very that when you see like old newspapers with this, where they used to use the sketches mm, before this, photography. This is probably about as good a time as any to talk about like the costume and the set design in this film because yeah. it, it really it adds so much to it. It is such a mishmash. Like the yeah, the police look like the standard ter- cops, eight, eighteen like turn yeah. of the century PC bobbies. bobbies. Yeah, whereas the detectives Lily and Jones look more like kind of nineteen twenties to nineteen forties. They're in like 
long tweed jackets and they all have hats and they and they should be going come here to me yeah they're <laughs> they're the kind of north side they the guns like i'm pretty sure there's a fucking luger going on there, there is. somewhere there's um, like there's world war one wap- the weaponry police, there's blimps over the detectives heads. detectives seem to be using lugers one of them has a world war Two japanese pistol which is very bizarre um when they're trying to take down edgar later in the film there's a whole lot of guys who look like they're decked out like world war one soldiers with the helmets and the sniper rifles oh oh the guys who look like they were the flamethrower oh the what the, the like the they have the security that, for the brotherhood yeah and they have those like sock those world war one gas masks you know the the real like atypical yeah they look like they look the, like fucking um they look like the guys umbrella who, corporation soldiers yeah, <laughs> like but they do have um a trench warfare look to them they do and then there's weird things like at one point silas gets in an elevator and just waves his hand and the door is closed and the elevator goes down the tranquilizer then, dart that he uses to shoot silas oh and, it's this incredibly and the gun and carved. it's gold and it's it's incredible that is also a beautiful shot by the way they don't need to explain that they're shooting him with a tranquilizer because they show you it yeah from the load all the way and it follows you all the way through to it hitting him in the back and injecting Injecting it yeah yeah no i can't praise the visuals enough in this film even even down to like you know the set dressing and stuff like that like you were saying about the, the streets aren't paved yeah it depends on where they are so down in the slums it really is down yeah. in the slums. If you've ever seen footage of, like, say, the old tenements in Dublin, the old tenements in London, it's, yeah. it's that kind of style where, you know, they're not... You're lucky if there's sewage, like... Yeah, and there's horses and carts, but like, there's also cars there's, going around. There's blimps overhead. It seems that, in some ways, the brothers have advanced technology beyond what we already have. And in other ways, because this world is so constantly ravaged by plague and influenza, that other it hasn't moved forward in other ways. Yeah, because even... It all seems to be where the advances are, are all necessity as opposed to luxury. Yeah, because we see like a TV set at one point in the film that's got like a tiny four inch screen and it really is an early, early TV yeah. set. But when you see any, you say like the medical equipment. It's all modern and shiny and new and they're using monitoring equipment that's not far off what we have today yeah um, even oh the beautiful because of the way the church works for the brotherhood you're reading my mind by the the, way i was just about to say talk about that (laughs) people parishioners donate blood yeah in rituals and they have this amazingly ornate because obviously it's the church and it's heavily influenced by the Roman Catholic Church in particular. It certainly seems so. To be. It does have this pomp and circumstance yeah, going on, and this, this audacious kind of lavish lifestyle where they're still, which the Roman Catholic Church does very much have, which is look at all of our beautiful things. Give us your money. But even. Even so how the, they go about it with this. Yeah, they donate blood and you're seen doing it and she has this like cuff that's very it's gothic-y. Yeah, it's, it, they basically the just... Heavy. 
they've they've tapped a vein to draw blood. Yeah. But there's this like. But they've made it carved, fancy. Yeah, there's this carved strap that's holding it on, and it's draining her into this very ornate like vase thing. It's a. Uh, and the, vamp, the 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 brothers don't just drink from people because when we see this woman donating blood, a guy walks past holding a tray that's got a jar yeah. and two very fancy glasses, and he pours a bit of blood in, and they drink the blood from it's, the glasses. It's more similar to like a an old school tureen mm. like it's a big heavy silver base a glass vessel little tap on it yeah and she's there the woman who's donating blood is there in her finery and like she's got her best jewels on and she's and she's you know quaffing away on champagne and having a chat mm. whilst having a vein tapped yeah, and it is. It's a, it's just any time it's kind of mentioned, it's mentioned in such a natural way. Joan says at one point, "Oh, my mum donates blood twice a week, just like everybody else." But don't expect me to kiss Silas's arse or something along those yeah, lines. Or kiss his ring. And yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it's just about it, it. It does seem to be about. Well, everybody knows how much the ben- the brothers benefit mankind. They're also seen as these real high holy. They're almost like living saints or something. So everybody's happy to donate to them. Yeah. But then you have the flip side of that as well, where sick people or particularly devout people are sometimes given vampire blood. Yes. And some say it helps them heal or they get visions from it. It's almost like it's, it's part, you know, like a pilgrimage to Lords. You manage to, to get some brother's blood. <laughs> well, it's very, it, and a lot of the verbiage that they use is very similar to any of the iconographers that still exist today. Mm. There's a particular guy in Paris and he will fast for 40 days and then paint Yeah, to put himself in that very similar yeah. mindset. Mm. And it, it would be a, a parallel to how these parishioners go about their daily worship yeah. of the brothers. But it's it's all these, and, and everything we just talked about there is, is shown on screen in about four or five seconds. Yeah, and it's just accepted as part of the world. Yeah. It, this is life and this is the way it is. And, you know, you're not, the thing that's really nice is you never feel like you're playing catch up. No, no, as I say, we keep talking about all this stuff that probably makes it sound really complicated. But it is a very simple and easy to follow film. Yeah. There's a bad vampire. There's a good vampire trying to help him or trying to catch him who's aided by a policewoman who has a very emotional connection to, to the case. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. But around that very simple story is... A whole this world. corruption. A whole world. There's corruption that seems to be. Well, life. you've got the Brotherhood and the Church and the corruption that seems to exist in there. They seem to have some corruption to. The government seems to be like. Yeah. They're sorry, the Brotherhood and the Church seem to hold sway over the government and what they can and can't do. Yeah. And, and again. Well, they develop all the vaccines. Mm. That's that, you know, they develop all the vaccines, so they have a lot of power in that way because it'd be like, oh, oh, we don't like what you were doing. Oh, this vaccine's taking longer. Yeah, well, there's a, a, a brilliant Ooh. bit where Silas and Lily are kind of giving a briefing to the other police about Edgar and what he's done and how they're going to catch him. And one of the cops asks what Edgar did before he went mental, basically. And Silas says that he worked on the the vaccines for the influenza and says that if it wasn't for his work, most of you in this room wouldn't be alive today. Yeah. And I like that because it's it's almost like Silas is saying, don't disrespect him like that. 
Like, yes, he, he's he, I, he's sick and he's killing people now and that's bad. But this is somebody who you need to respect. He's at least 100 years old. He's saved most of your lives. You talk with a bit of reverence. And the sad There's, thing is, he's just been infected by his own disease, by something he was trying to cure. Yeah, so there's, there is that element of hubris involved in it as well. Yeah, and now he wants to take over the world and he has, his mindset has changed to, well, why should we be subservient to them? We're clearly the superior being. Yeah, and it is, there's a scene towards the end where Edgar talks about the existence of the brothers and the life of the of a brother. Oh, It's to be ripped away from your mother at childhood. No, and, not at childhood, at sorry, birth. at birth. At birth. And away from the warm and the sucker and to not know yeah. loving affection because cause you, it, they all seem to be very kind of stoic and it's an all-male society that mm. seems to be very kind of formal and cold and sterile almost yeah to, and to not emotionally be allowed, sterile certainly yeah and not to be allowed to form bonds with anybody outside of the brotherhood there's a point that Silas makes of saying yours would be a good life to watch yeah they're not allowed is so sad that you know, they probably pick somebody every couple of decades, yeah. follow their life for a little bit, just for a change of pace or to see well, somebody think, going through the motions of actually being a human. Yeah, because their their brothers aren't allowed to take human mates. Any mate, realistically. Um, because, well, they're the church, so they certainly can't take another brother as a mate. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> celibacy. It works yeah. so well. So, yeah, they're, they're a celibate order, but I assume the reason behind that is that they would then have to watch the person that they love grow up and die. No, so this, I, probably the reason that they're a celibate order is because nobody wanted them interbreeding. It um, seems to be a genetic mutation and they understand that. Yeah, you can't but produce they, a brother with a brother. But given the fact that they'd been around for 300 years at this point, it probably was we don't want... We'll lock them off away over there, away from our daughters. Don't want them muddying our good bloodlines. Oh, yeah. The, the, There's a the certain human, range the, sorry, of, yeah. of, of xenophobia going on Sorry, there. I thought you meant from the vampire side. No, Yeah, no, no, no from, from the, the human, human side. side yeah. yeah, we don't but, want you making any, like, little half-breeds or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, but when Silas says the little years would be a good life to watch, it's it's not... It should be creepy, but it's not. It's so sad. It's Yeah, it's mournful, and it's it's almost as if he's saying, you know, if I were a human, I would totally try and bang you, but I can't because I'm going to live forever, so I think I'll just watch your life and hope that you have a happy life. Ew. And, like, like he could live vicariously through other people's mm. happiness. And it does... Edgar's right. It does sound like a sad existence. One of it does, especially servitude. for somebody like Edgar or like Silas who feels everything so strongly. Mm. You get that coming. He plays it really, really well. He's very, very um, reserved with his touch. But those that he you do see him touch throughout the film is a sick child. Mm. Uh, Lily, when she's in the hospital, it's people that. People that are in need, pain. That are in pain and need to be comforted. But we feel like he's, from our viewing, we feel like Silas is a bit of an empath. Mm. Because there's just a few small things. One that you noticed in our most recent watch through that I hadn't, that there's at least two points where people who know Silas... Won't touch him. Yeah, either recoil from a handshake or just move away from his touch. Mm. And then the other people that he does touch, he at one point he hesitates to touch Lily and then he actually does. So it's almost like he can read these people and, and yeah. feel what or they're feeling. Feel what they're, yeah. But again, it's never said. 
Because the two people, the, the yeah, the two people that he goes up to and touches without hesitation are are a very sick child. Yeah, and I think the police officer, the one that's beaten in the hospital. Yeah, well, he does he does touch Augustus once or twice. Yeah. The the kind of but, the elder of the church, but I would assume it's a case of we see him at the start with a very young Silas. Yeah. So he's, um, a, he's a parental figure. So he's a parental figure, and even if Silas can read people, he's probably been around him long enough as that side of him was developing that he can probably mask whatever he wants yeah. to mask from Silas. Speaking of him, I like how he's the only other. He's the only aspect of like the brotherhood, like the inner circle or the upper echelon of the brotherhood that we ever see or hear. Yeah. Where other films, they might like. Silas might be summoned before the Grand Council. There's none, there's none of that. <laughs> Judge Dredd. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's no summoning before a Grand Council. There's just... The orders there's just are Augustus. sent down from on high to Yeah, Augustus, Augustus just says, like, yeah, the inner circle wants you to take care of this thing or take care of that thing. And yeah, it is. It's all, it's all just done with such efficiency, I suppose. Yeah, well, it's the equivalent of the white smoke, black smoke out the chimney. <laughs> yeah. There is there is ceremony and he, they do always constantly refer to it as, you know, if it's in the rituals or if the rituals need it, you mm-hmm. know. So they are, they're dressing up this life in ritual and, and routine. Uh, yeah, that their long life and their, their like amazing abilities almost function as just a, a permanent miracle for people. Yeah. So you can kind of, you can see like there's rarely a question of atheism apart from Jones saying kind of my Yeah, well they're walking around, they're physical, yeah. they're there, you can see them. So you can understand why a church with an order like the Brotherhood would be able to gain such power, especially in such a world that's desperate for their help. Yeah. Why they have such a, a, a sway in the government and government policy. Uh, it all makes sense. Like it all, it all tracks with the world that's been built. It's one of those movies that every time you watch it, you find something new. Yeah, definitely. You'll notice something small. Um... We, oh yeah, one of the things I noticed this time. Um, now, partly because I was looking for it, because the director says in the interview one of his influences is obviously Nosferatu, <laughs> but the, the German that expressionist. Is, yeah, German expressionism is very heavy in this. But well, not even super heavy. But there's a couple of scenes, particularly around Edgar, that you can be like, oh yeah, there's one dream vision sequence that's very German expressionist. Oh, the one with all the negatives? Yeah. yeah. And, then and things being shown backwards. And There's a bit where Edgar climbs up a wall and it's shot in that real those, like janky Nosferatu style yeah that janky it's like double speed but not double speed it's somehow double and half speed at the same time yeah, like it, it's it's but it very it reminiscent of Nosferatu as well but when you're establishing it works to establish that this is a preternatural being yeah it works very well establishing that because it is such an unsettling movement to watch mm. Whereas when you'd seen Silas, Silas moves with with grace and mm. and liquidity and is almost like a ball a ballerina. It's except all, when he's falling. Except when he's falling, <laughs> then he tends to kind of turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but he moves, and they all seem to move. They're all like cats, you know. They all they're all very like silent and and smooth. And mm. when they fall over, they lick themselves. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Edgar, because there's something wrong with him he's more feral he moves in that you know when feral when a dog with rabies gets the twitches yeah and does that stiff-legged walk 
that's almost what he's like is he's a he's a, a rabid dog in the twitching stage before they start <laughs> foaming at the bait and rip everything apart <laughs> yeah and uh, um Sil- silas is the, the the silent hunter like the tiger or or the lioness whereas edgar is the feral dog or the hungry old bear that's desperate. He's rabid. He he actually mm. the way the whole way and and the the devolution of his mental state is mm. is very similar to how rabies progresses in humans. Yeah, and he is his he, he gets, gets a lot more deranged and uh, the movement everything and you can see him start to kind of shrink down into himself his, and lock up as well. He's a lot less eloquent as he goes on. Mm. He's a lot less poetic in his speech and he like he snarls and hisses and bares his teeth that bit more. It's he's his, actually going through all the stages of rabies yeah he's actually he is becoming rabid See, still not even watching it and still picking yeah. up on new things um, and that's no, only because I, do, I, I know how rabies <laughs> progresses in humans and rabies is something that they're hyper aware of in New Zealand because they're petrified of it getting into the country well they're like us they don't have it yeah but without going into any spoiler territory is there is there anything else in it that you really loved in this film um, or really hated I just enjoyed the sorry the one of the things that I I really 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 liked is is the face plant into the wall. That's oh. all. That's all I'm gonna say about that. Oh, that's so good. That's about the only funny moment in the whole fucking film, too. It's one of the only funny moments. Yeah. Um. Oh, one of my other favorite bits is when Lily gets attacked by Edgar. I, that's not a particularly big spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> the main female lead is probably going to get attacked by the main villain. Yeah. And Silas comes in and says that he can help her. And Jones is very protective. He's like, no. Well, oh, oh, Jones's knife, by the way. The knife, knife that knife. knuckle duster. Yeah. But the way he holds it, it's so that the, if he has his thumb on right around the end of the knuckle duster, the blade is out the other side. Yeah. Like it's a real street fighter but, knife. Yeah. And all oh, the way he goes, don't come near her or I'll stick you. Yeah, he threat- he threatens Silas and Silas says that he can help her if he gives her his blood. And, then- and just so quickly, like sleight of hand quick, just slices his own wrist on the blade and puts his wrist straight to the oh, his yeah. mouth. It's just, it's so slick. It's so well done. And then funnily, one of the things that I dislike the most about the movie is also knife related when Silas is kind of getting conferred or like inducted oh, higher and they up. they cut the back of they his neck. They cut the back of his neck with a, a ceremonial sword. Oh, uh, sorry. And I, but it looks terrible. No, I mean, it's the only no, no. bit that looks bad Anything in the film. Anything revolving cutting or ripping near the back of the neck always freaks me out. Oh, I know, out. I know. But it's... I used to have my neck the back of my neck pierced I know and you, you ripped it out I ripped it out and I can't handle anything else but, like that yeah there's there's only two things that stand out to me in this film as as bad one is the bad the, CGI rain on oh, the oh sorry okay yeah there's, there's a there's <laughs> There there's is like some 30 really, seconds of really even, it's, like, it's like two or three seconds of some really bad CGI rain it just it's so bad there's that really bad CGI neck cut and then the only other thing that I didn't like actively didn't like is the there's the one or two bits of hammy writing that yeah. we talked about and there's really only like say two or three lines that I would absolutely remove from the film yeah but other than that yeah no and it's, to it's be a really perfectly honest those couple of lines feel like they were made put they were filmed to be put in because some studio exec went oh I don't like that and oh why <clears> is that going on and the one that really bugs us could very easily have been a reshoot because it it's in a car. Yeah. It's three characters in a car. One of them gets out. And it's that, two and of what, the Kiwis. 
Yeah, it, yeah that, that could very easily have been a reshoot. It, it just, that, that scene in particular just smacks to me of studio interference of mm. some fucking exec who went, I don't understand. That's too subtle. Or, or audiences way, won't understand. Because fuck yeah, we understand. Because of the way it's shoehorned in there. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, you're probably right. I also, quick shout out to the eel selling woman. Who oh, is, Tomoko. Who is singing a traditional Mary song while she sells her eels with yeah. her beautiful facial moco. <laughs> yeah. Lovely to see it. But yeah, go watch it. Yeah, no, Try I was saying there's it. a few, a few. <laughs> I don't know if it's up on any of the streaming platforms. Well, yeah, we have it on, we bought it on DVD the second yeah, we got it in New people? Zealand. Well, also it was back in 2007, but yeah. we bought it on, on DVD in New Zealand. We got an Irish region copy of it as well, so we don't have to go look for it on streaming services. We know it is available in Finland because our friend got it. <laughs> yeah, a Finnish friend of ours was like, oh, we hate, we have this really cool vampire film to show you. We were like, oh, oh, we have a deadly one. Let me just tell you about it first. And yeah, it was the same film. It was the same film. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think there's really any more standout moments to talk about because... I don't want to ruin of, it. Yeah. yeah, they are kind of... There's a lot of like just really cool things in it that even not spoilery stuff I just yeah go watch it experience it for yourself it is a fantastic film yeah it's it is completely different to what you think it will be yeah and, and I we don't, haven't done it justice uh, no oh god no we've been rambling about this film um, but uh, it, I wouldn't call it one of my favourite like all time favourite films what I find quite annoying is that it's got a 5.4 rating on IMDb that's disgraceful I know that's I know. disgraceful out of Fuck yeah, them. out of 5,000 people, or 5,500 reviews, it's got a 5.4 rating. No, that's Well, nonsense. y'all can go stick your head up your own butts. That's like, no, I I mean, like, personally, that film, I, I'd give it, like, 8.5 to 9 out of 10. I don't really, we don't really rate stuff, but I'd, no, I'd put that at 8.5 or 9. If, if it's a movie I will go back to and watch, and it's a movie that if, somebody's looking for a good recommendation for something it's a movie i'll recommend mm. if, if well, that what... if it's that if they're into that sort of thing yeah. yeah i i enjoy it i enjoy the genre mashing of it i yeah. enjoy everything pretty much it's, everything to do with it it's, it's definitely very unique i've never seen anything like it if you have please tell me yeah i'd like, like more of it. it bear in mind as well we own all the blades. We own all the underworlds. Yeah, we love we zombies and vampires. I've seen Ultraviolet, all of those, which are what a lot of people say it's very similar to. Eh. Guarantee you've probably we've probably seen it, and we still think that this is different enough to all of those. Yeah, Thirty Days a Night. Seen it. It's different to that again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I love Thirty Days a Night. It's, it's different like to it. True Blood, which I watched, which was the same thing again with vampires introducing themselves to society. It, in, it's different to that. In in tones and visuals, it does remind me sometimes of Dark City. Yeah, but Dark yeah, no, but it, I plot not at all. But no, just, just but, tone and and visuals. But it also draws quite heavily on soil and green Brazil, nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, that it's kind heavy, of, heavily dystopian as well. Yeah, like and visually, it has that look. It's not got the oh, it's all dark tones. It's not. The Blade Runner neon mm. sci-fi future. It's oh, no. more the horrible underbelly, grimy, dirty. grimy everything shit. <laughs> yeah, dystopia <laughs> as opposed to utopia. utopia yeah, 
yeah no like I say it's it's not the best film in the world it's probably not even my favourite film but there's a reason that we chose it to be the first film that we podcasted about yeah and that is because I want more people to watch it and and just it's a little it. gem it, it really is. is yeah it's a gem and I think that's probably what we'll focus on in Modern Rants at the Movies is probably some of our favourite films sometimes cool films but will be mostly probably things like this that we just randomly came across and, and have great love for yeah I would like more people to see and enjoy yeah we hope you enjoyed our rambly raving We're chat sorry <laughs> we hope that you watch the film and enjoy that even more we will be back next week with an undecided review we haven't figured out what yet but rest assured it will be there <laughs> we will be back as usual on Monday with Monorance at the Movies until then guys you can check out all our old podcasts on the boys at Monorance the Boys you can find us on Twitter at Rance Mono you can send us an email to Monorance Podcast at gmail.com and we will talk to you next week bye bye we are science fiction remnant this is the funny science fiction podcast we are the caribbean science fiction network we are monorats we are one core level two podcast this is sci-fi